Welcome to the Western Vowel Podcast Series, with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, Giving Ourselves to Love. It was given by Nahama Greenwald on Saturday, January 8, 2022, via Zoom. Nahama is a physical therapist, editor, and musician who for 17 years was a member of the Shree Blues Band, which performed Western vowel music. At times during the talk, she refers to her teacher, Lee Lozowick, who formed the band. Reference is also made to Lee's teacher, the Indian master Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Nahama Greenwald. A very warm welcome to everyone. This is the first Saturday night talk of 2022. So happy new year to everybody as we move into so many unknowns. And yet here we are gathered together to talk about the spiritual path and the Dharma. We know that it's so rare and so priceless, but in these times and what we are witnessing in the world with each other, within ourselves, it's even more precious and it's even more priceless. So I want to begin by just reading the write-up that I wrote as a way of summing up and defining what the subject is for tonight, which is giving ourselves to love. In many mystical traditions, such as the Sufi and Christian traditions, love is at the source of everything in creation. Love has the power to break down our deepest patterns of resistance. It can transform us, unravel us, lift us up to states of rapture and intoxication, as well as plunge us into overwhelming and devastating heartbreak. Love is a journey that takes us to both heaven and hell. Hazrat Aniyat Khan says that a heart lightened by love is more precious than all the gems and jewels of the world. What does it mean to give ourselves to love when we surrender with genuine vulnerability and let it have its way with us? This talk will explore love as the great initiator into the mysteries of life and death and as a crucial element in setting our hearts on fire and awakening us to our true nature. So the Irish poet, David White, really a fabulous poet, I was listening to a podcast of his, and he was talking about how human beings, because of our ego structure and the tendency to resist reality, that we have manufactured three abiding illusions since the beginning of time. The first illusion is that we can construct a life in which we are not vulnerable, where we are immune to the difficulties, we're not going to get sick, 
We're not going to experience any loss. And of course, we know that that's not true, but there's something in our ego structure that still resists vulnerability. So that's the first illusion. The second illusion is that we can construct a life where we will not have our hearts broken. For example, if we meet someone and we fall in love and we say, I finally have met someone who will not break my heart. That's what we hope for. And then the third illusion is that we are able to plan and arrange things so that we will be able to see the path to the end from where we're standing now, that we can figure it out and know the outcome from where we are right now, that we know the outcome of how it's going to be from where we stand right now. So I was listening to this podcast and I was thinking about what he was saying in relation to the subject of love and how love shatters all of those illusions because love demands great vulnerability. We cannot truly love. We cannot dive deeply into the ocean of love without great vulnerability. That's what love asks of us. And in terms of not getting our hearts broken, well, love shatters that too, because even if we have the most awesome partner or spouse, we have the greatest friends, the greatest kids, love will always break our hearts. Love tenderizes us and we live really with a broken heart. So love shatters the illusion that we will not get our hearts broken. And the third illusion that we can figure out where we're going in the future based on where we are now, love, as I was saying in the introduction, love is a great initiator into the mysteries of life and death. And any real initiation involves a loss of control and surrender. Otherwise, it's not a true initiation, right? Because we're in control. And what love does is it takes us apart. It undoes us. It unravels us. But then it reconfigures us. So love takes us apart and then it reshapes us and it reconfigures us. And so when it takes us apart, we have no idea where we're going to end up. Love takes us into places unknown and full of mystery. So love shatters all those three illusions. I think this is important to do this in the beginning. I want to make the distinction between when we love something or someone and when we give ourselves to love. They overlap, but there is a distinction. There's a contextual difference. So when we give ourselves to love, we are disciples of love. We let love teach us, guide us, anoint us, unravel us reconfigure us, initiate us, pierce us, open us, and transform us. We belong to love. We are devotees on the path of love. And love informs how we move through the cycles of death and rebirth in our lives. We do not know the outcome of where love will take us. For example, Maybe it's not going to take us into the relationship that we were hoping for. It may take us into heartbreak. 
But wherever love takes us, we are willing to go to relinquish control and to follow it through all the way, welcoming and embracing whatever it brings us. And we do this consciously. The poet Hafiz says, quote, the subject of tonight is love. As a matter of fact, it's a subject matter of tomorrow night as well. And I see no reason that it shouldn't be the subject of every night until we die. Love is something that is so central in our lives that we can talk about it every night until we die. And Hafiz says, well, maybe we should talk about it every night until we die because love is so evocative. It attracts us, it magnetizes us, it stirs us like nothing else in this world. And without it, we would die. Hazrat Aniyat Khan, the Sufi mystic says, there is no greater power than love. Strength comes with the awakening of love in the heart. So the poets and the mystics tell us that love is more powerful than death. And maybe we can actually verify that with our own experience. My teacher, Lee, one of his bands was the band I was in, Shri, and he had a few other bands. He would write the lyrics to the songs, and then the musicians would compose the music. And he had this one song called Love Never Dies. And the refrain goes, love never dies, love never dies, love never dies, and it's a goddamn shame. So maybe we wish that it wasn't so powerful. Maybe that's what we wish sometimes, but it is. Because our deepest pain, our deepest joys and delight, our deepest healings and betrayals, and our deepest longings all come from having loved and having been loved. Rumi says, quote, the center leads to love. The soul opens to creation's core. So when we open to love, we are opening to the very source of creation because love is the pulse that beats through the heart of creation. It's what keeps things alive moving forward and evolutionary because love literally helps creation to continue. But it's also evolutionary in a personal sense because when we give ourselves to love, like when we fall in love, for example, something beautiful and profound opens for us. Whatever the outcome of that love is, whether it materializes into a relationship, a partnership or not, something opens up for us and there is the possibility to see more vividly, to feel more alive because love awakens us to a heightened state of reality. If we use the language of uh, Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda, we can say that love shifts our assemblage point. Love can do that. It can shift our assemblage point. So when love undoes us, which it will, and when love brings us to our knees, which it does, the heat of love is so powerful. It's so hot. It's so intense 
that it actually melts the veils. It can melt the veils that obscure our true nature. And what is revealed is who we are authentically and essentially. There's a Jungian, a Jungian psychologist named Aldo Kiratanuto who said, love reveals us to ourselves. A person knows his or her true nature only through falling in love. Love has been the subject of thousands upon thousands of poems, music, art, photography, philosophy, all forms of human expression. Love is as old as the beginning of time. It's ancient. Love is ancient, beginning with when human beings first began to appear on this planet. And yet, when it happens to us personally, it's always new and fresh. And as we know, there are many, many different kinds. There are many different aspects of love. Love for a guru, a teacher, a mentor. Love for the divine. Love for one's human partner. Love for animals. Love for parents, siblings, children. Love for friends. Love of beauty personal love, impersonal love. And, you know, I don't want to get too lofty. So just to keep it real and balance things out, there's a dark side to love, right? Jealousy, possessiveness, grasping, selfishness, sabotaging, devouring. And in extreme cases, there are crimes of passion. So love exists in eternity. But it also exists in time, in the realm of duality. And in the realm of duality, there are opposites. There is the tension of the opposites. So there is light and there is darkness in love. And often um, both tend to be magnified when we're talking about love. So if we say it another way, we can say that love brings out the best and the worst in us. And love holds up a mirror for us, a big mirror. If we're talking about personal love, for example, what is in our unconscious, our unconscious material, will inevitably get projected onto the object of our love, and it will reveal our woundedness at the most primal level. This is very, very painful. But if we give ourselves to love, if we are warriors and we have warrior courage and we do the inner work of reclaiming those projections as aspects of ourselves instead of blaming and making it about the other, if we bring it to the light of consciousness, then there is the real possibility of healing for us. It's not that those wounds go away, I don't think they go away, but there's more freedom they don't want us as much and in this process of looking at this woundedness and reclaiming these projections of how we want to put it onto the other we realize that there is no external person that is going to save us and I can't speak for anybody else but this is tough for me I want there to be somebody <laughs> I want there to be somebody it doesn't matter whether it's a teacher or a spouse or a partner there is no external person that is going to 
save us. And at the same time, there's also positive projections. So the beauty and the radiance that we see in the other, that we see in our beloved, is actually our own true nature. And that beauty resides within us and emanates from our own being. In other words, we project our deepest wounds and also our deepest beauty. So to make the shift from external projection onto the other, to the inner recognition and seeing of ourselves as we are, is a very powerful aspect of what it is to give ourselves to love. Michael Mead, who I think in every talk I've ever done, I always mention him. I use quotes from him. I really find him to be incredibly inspiring. For those of you who do not know who he is, he's a a mythologist. He's a storyteller. He's a drummer. He's just a voice of wisdom and sanity for our time. He talks about how when we step onto the path of love, which I actually think is synonymous with the path of the awakening of the heart that is going to take us much further and much deeper than we ever would have chosen to go on our own. So if we talk about love as being something primary that initiates us into the mysteries of life and death, as I was saying earlier, any real initiation, like in a tribal initiation, any real initiation involves a loss of control. We don't know the outcome because as surely as love takes us apart, it will reconfigure us, like I've been saying. And this is an alchemical process. And we're not the same. We're not the same at the end than we were at the beginning. We can be. So to be initiated on the path of love is a process of stripping away. It's a process of letting go of the tight grip that we have on our ego identifications so that we are open and available to the energies of death and rebirth and how they are activated and and flow through our lives. This is a quote from Michael Mead. I'm going to read it slowly because there's there's a lot in this quote, so I'll, I'll read it slowly. The ego must surrender its fortress that would lock out love and lock us in as well. Love reduces and diminishes the ego, mistreats it until it finally surrenders and allows the depths where love resides to open, to be entered and spread forth. Love requires a falling down that leads us to places where we can surrender to the mysteries of the body's knowledge and the wisdom that can only be found in the deep self within. He goes on to say that when we fall in love, that we fall back to the core of creation. We are connecting to the source of love. We are drinking from the source of love. And I want to pause for a moment and just consider what that means. What does it mean to drink from the source of love? So for me, the way that I would describe it is that it is ecstatic, sublime, ineffable, 
and holy. I've been reading this book. It's a memoir by, he's a a Zen Roshi who uh, runs uh, the Zen Center in Santa Fe. His name is um, Henry Shookman. And he wrote this memoir about how he came to the path of Zen Buddhism. It's all about drinking from the source of love. And he describes this experience, like a numinous experience that he had when he was 19 years old. So he's from the UK and he traveled with some friends to Colombia, South America when he was 19. And he had this experience one day where he was standing by the sea and he was just watching this fishing boat go by. And he was looking at the water and the play of light on the water. And he said that the water was so fascinating to him because it was blindingly white, yet it was completely dark. And he got to the point where not only was he looking at it and it was outside of him, but he was actually inside of it and he had become part of it. And he could actually no longer tell the difference between outside and inside. And in that instant, everything turned into sparks of light. The water turned into sparks of light, the fishing boat, the sky, the whole scene. And he did too. He turned into sparks of light. And so there was no differentiation. Everything became sparks of life. And it was like the whole universe turned to fire. And he felt in that moment, he knew it was a knowledge, something he understood, that he was made of the same fabric that the whole universe was made of. And not only did he experience a sense of belonging, but it was actually like the whole universe was him, that experience of of mystical oneness. And I want to just read a couple of short paragraphs. So when he goes back to his little cabin, he wrote about it. And this is what he said. Back in my cabana, I lay on my bunk in the gloom with the wooden ceiling just overhead, while a flame burned in my chest like the flame of my kerosene camping stove, which was fierce but ghostly. It was a fire of love and it kept pouring out of me. I've never known anything like it, yet somehow it was familiar as if it had been with me all my life, just unnoticed. The walls of weathered plywood gleamed in the dark. I lay listening to the rustle and murmur of water outside. Previously, there had always been a limit to beauty, but now it was everywhere. Nothing was left out. All I had to do was lie here with love pouring out of my breast in a swift, silent stream like a Roman candle. I felt like I had been claimed by immemorial love. I just had to read that because it's so beautifully written. He wrote that when he was 19. So this is what we're talking about is falling in love. Whatever we fall in love with, it could be falling in love with something in the natural world. But whenever we fall in love, falling back, to the core of creation and drinking from the source of love. And that love is going to penetrate 
our defenses. Like I was saying before, it was going going to penetrate our defenses and expose areas of great tenderness and sensitivity. So when we give ourselves to love, if we are truly disciples of love, we will be confronted with and have to face those tender, sensitive areas and the ways we have identified with those as being ourselves, as being who we really are. And when we face this, it's like dying. It's a process of dying. And that is lawful, that it's a process of dying. I mean, there's an intimate relationship between love and death because both involve letting go. John Wellwood, maybe perhaps you all have heard of him. He has passed away. He was just a brilliant writer and psychologist. He says, dying requires us to love and let go. Love requires us to die and to let go. So letting go, giving ourselves to love is letting go of who we thought we were, who we identified ourselves to be. Letting love in, letting love have its way with us, shake the whole thing up, and then reconfiguring us. So I want to make just a couple of more points, then open it up to all of you. I want to talk about betrayal. I don't think you can talk about love without talking about betrayal. Because we will inevitably experience betrayal, right? When we love, we're going to experience betrayal. And as hard as it is, perhaps betrayal is necessary. You can't have betrayal without deep trust and deep love. They go hand in hand. The Jungian psychologist James Hillman says, trust and the possibility of betrayal come into the world at the same moment. Wherever there is trust in a union, the risk of betrayal becomes a real possibility. So betrayal is a necessary element. It's a necessary ingredient on the path of love and the awakening of our true nature, of our genuine nature. We need the shattering because the betrayals that we experience bring us to a place of greater trust in our own selves. It brings us to a place of greater maturity and wisdom. Here's another quote from Michael Mead. In the alchemy of the soul, Betrayal is a medicine that can dissolve infantile expectations, fixated attitudes of the ego, and false expectations of the world and other people. When we feel a sense of betrayal, we're being pulled down into the depths of our own souls, not so that we can feel an even deeper sense of loss but so that we can let go and find the essential truths, the inner gifts, and the innate purpose waiting to be found in the depths of our souls, waiting to turn betrayal back into genuine trust. Underneath the betrayal, what waits to be found is the essence of our own lives 
as well as the courage to live meaningfully. So betrayal is a necessary initiation on the path of love. The loss of trust in another, whatever the relationship is, pulls us deeper into ourselves so that we can access and know and come to stand in what it means to trust ourselves. I hope that makes sense to all of you. Okay, lots of material here, I know. I want to go back to the distinction that I made in the very beginning between the contextual difference between giving ourselves to love and when we love something or someone using the work of Martin Buber, who was a German Jewish philosopher and writer. And he wrote a book that I think has been translated into every single language. It's been read all over the world and it's called I and Thou. So just to explain the basic premise of the book, he talks about how there are two basic relationships in the world, the I-it relationship and the I-thou relationship. So what's the difference? In the I-it world, there is subject and object. There is the one who experiences the I, and then the one who is experienced, which is the it. And in the I-it relationship, they remain separate. They are each a particular and discrete separate point in space and time. That's the I-it relationship. But the I-thou relationship is different. So he has different terms for what the I-thou relationship is. He calls it an encounter. He also calls it a supreme meeting. And he also calls it love. So in the I-thou relationship, the thou or the you that we encounter, the other that we encounter is encountered in its wholeness and in its entirety. Here's the quote. The thou is not encountered as a point in space and time, but instead it is encountered as if it were the entire universe or rather as if the entire universe somehow existed through the thou. So we can experience this encounter or the supreme meeting with anything. It doesn't have to just be with an individual or a person. It can be with an animal or a tree. So again, he calls this I-thou relationship love. In an I-thou relationship, we don't, have love. We actually live inside of love and we encounter the being and the mystery of another as we stand inside of love. So these encounters or these supreme meanings, he says, they're sacred, they're ineffable, and they are characterized by presence. So if you go back to what I was reading before when I was reading 
the Zen Roshi's experience of standing by the sea. That is an experience of love within a unified field where love kind of just subsumes everything. So again, I'm trying to make this distinction because it's very specific what it means to give ourselves over to love, to let love teach us, anoint us, open us, unravel us, transform us. And when we love something or someone. Okay, let's stop. Let's stop me talking and let's hear from you. What would you all like to say? It's your turn. I keep drawing back to something I remember reading in the 70s or 80s. So a long time ago, I believe it was Deepak Chopra. And he was talking about how when we fall in love, and I think we've all experienced that where you just, you give yourself over. You open yourself up to vulnerability. And he said, but then there comes a moment when we realize we've walked into the lion's mouth. And now we've laid ourselves open to this other person and like kind of an awakening of, oh my God, what did I do? And I'm sitting here wondering as you were talking, if we didn't have that experience of the falling in love, would we extend ourselves? Do we almost have to be knocked off at the knees to fall into it? Nowadays, so many people are very attached to their animals. It's a beautiful love, but that's easier because the animals are so accepting of us. And um, with a human, it's, it's a little scarier because of the betrayal and other things that can come into the situation. What do you think if, if we didn't have that falling in love, would we go there? That's a great question. Yeah, I can talk about that, but I'd like to know if there's anyone else that would like to say something about that too. We all have our own reference point for what it is to fall in love or to love. So would anybody like to respond? My response to that is I'm aware how my heart opens and closes and how I protect myself and how hard it is to allow myself to be vulnerable. And when that happens, or as it happens, what I'm aware is uh, it is my, whatever I'm projecting based upon past hurts or my sense of myself. When I can sit with the fear and understand it, then I can open. I mean, sometimes there's a, a sense of where it's not so much of an issue, like with an animal or in nature. But then there are other times with other human beings because of my experiences, and then I try to protect myself and close off. I just want to say that because it's something that I certainly both have worked on and need to continue. I want to thank you for the way you presented this. I would say it's inducting me into the space that you were describing. I feel vulnerable and stuck because The love that I've oriented towards is the divine space. So when I think of Yogi Ramsara Kumar, I don't think of breaking down my ego structures, but just receiving this grace. So there's something that's inviting me into vulnerable, unexplored territory that 
I've successfully avoided through the bliss of being in states. You know, both are true. There are so many different emanations or rasas. Rasa means mood. There are so many different moods of love. There is the mood of divine love, which is filled with, it can be filled with bliss, with grace. It can also undo us too. It can be fiery, very fiery and purifying and all of that. So there are so many different ways that we come into love. I mean, I had the experience where I fell in love with somebody and it really brought me to my knees. It was profound for me. And that was real too. But I do believe that we are initiated, that we go through cycles of death and rebirth throughout our lives. And it's never the same. I think that's what keeps things evolutionary and moving forward, like we were talking about earlier. And I think love initiates us into all of that and more deeply into ourselves. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not just about the other person and who the other person is or whatever the other thing is. It's about what it does for us as well. So the love of Yogi Ram Sarakumar, indescribable, right? So yeah, I appreciate you adding that and saying something about that. Thank you. One other thing about that is you've talked about, in some sense, trusting yourself to return to yourself. And that was a much more difficult move for me than to project that onto the saint and just receive that grace almost not trusting what was going on here. For me, it's like the word what I connect with is a gift. It's a tremendous gift. It's always there in a way, but as if I need something or someone who is bringing it to life. When we meet somebody or see something beautiful and suddenly this feeling of love comes up in me, It's like my heart is open and my whole body is like full of this love and gift. And it's sometimes completely overwhelming and also surprising because you meet somebody and you fall in love or you turn around and see something and you fall in love. It's like I can open myself up for love, but there is this kind of mystery or this, this wonder with connected what I feel so yeah what makes up all the great stories about love and heartbreak the sun goes down and the sunset is done or the rainbow is gone or my dog will die or whatever that just came up when I listened to yeah. all of you yeah it's impermanence always there always present I was hearing a lot of the words being undone and unraveled and reshaped and reconfigured. And and I, I wonder, are we being invited into a deeper loving through what's been happening to us like personally and culturally with all the suffering happening right now? I mean, I like to think so. This idea of love as a unified field, we don't get there without being broken down. 
And I wonder if that's what's happening now. It feels so. To me, it seems to be inviting us into living more in that space of love. I mean, absolutely. There are patterns that get broken down when we are with the partner, when we love someone, there's always patterns that get broken down. And sometimes when things fall apart, I know I use the word unravel and undone and all of that. And really some of that just comes out of my own personal, because I like to talk about things that come out of my own personal experience. And sometimes when that's happening to us, we get lost. We don't really know where we are. We can't see our way through sometimes. But I feel that if we have faith, if we are disciples, if we are devoted to the path of love, that we will be able to come to a place of deeper love and just deeper compassion not just for the world and the way that people are suffering and it's everything's so magnified right now. It's just so insanely magnified, but also love for ourselves, like true love for ourselves, not self-indulgent, obsessive, really genuine love and compassion for ourselves. I I feel like it's important to say that we shouldn't leave ourselves out of the equation. It includes us as well. What has happened for me, me being in prayer, in the silence, in prayer, um, I've grown to learn more about God. And as a result of that, I've learned to come to know more about me. And the result of this are the feelings that have developed inside of me. And in general, it's just feelings of love for other people or other creatures, basically. But I find it's a great benefit, so I continue to do it. Yes. There's a lot that can be said about prayer. Prayer is interwoven in everything. Interwoven in anything we say about love. It's interwoven with what's happening in the world. It's just a part of the fabric of the whole field of what is occurring in the world, what is occurring for ourselves in our own, you know, personal dharma and our own personal path and all of that. I really never paid much attention to what it meant to have love for myself. I was always focused on, ever since I was a child, the other, taking care of my mother, taking care of other people. You know, we hear in spiritual teachings, it's about serving the other. It's not about me, it's about the other. And I think that if there is woundedness or trauma that can come out in our intimate, personal relationships, then when we start to see that, we realize that maybe we've done some spiritual bypassing about ways in which we have not been good to ourselves, ways in which we have not been loving and kind towards ourselves. The Buddhists talk about having a measurable love for all beings. And, you know, that includes us too. 
having a measurable love for all beings. We are one of the beings. So I think that discovering that genuine love of oneself, I think we get confused when we talk about the Dharma and ego, but I think there's something very real and necessary in our process on the path to consider what it truly means to genuinely forgive ourselves, love ourselves, consider ourselves, all of that. I just wanted to add that. I had the opportunity recently to be at a, in a beautiful church down in the Sonoran Desert. And the, um, the transcript on the wall was done in beautiful wood. And it said, the desert will lead you to your heart. There I will speak. I think that without really stopping and entering into some kind of silence, prayer, whatever that is for someone, for, for me, unless I can enter into that silence, my relationship to love is mental, it's cultural, it's romantic or sentimental in many ways. But when I touch the depth, I touch something deeper than even the personality of love and enter into something which is more what I might call the ground of being. A little plug for silence and waiting upon love. Yeah, we can't force it, nor should we. I think that waiting is something that we're called upon to do right now with everything that's going on is to wait. I think that really factors into what we're living through and what we're experiencing right now. And I think that so much opens up when we are just quiet and we wait and we enter into a a state of prayer. Thank you. I was so taken about how love shifts our assemblage point. And I got a, a kind of a shaky feeling inside myself trying to deeply understand exactly what that means. And is that an experience that I want? And then I thought about it again when we talked about falling in love. The experiences I have of falling in love either with a person or with God or just anything, it's a very special feeling because something does shift inside of you and something can just take you over. And you have to give up something about your ego self to allow yourself to fall. Trying to grab or stop it or anything else is just you do get to the point of being vulnerable and you, and you do risk having your heart broken and you do give up everything you think you know. Like you said, planning how it's going to be, planning anything. And I, I can feel the desire I have inside of me to fall like that. I don't know if that's the same as the assemblage point, but I can feel that desire to surrender. Well, first of all, just to clarify, Carlos Castaneda Don Juan did not say that love shifts your assemblage point. I said that. What I meant when I use that is that love can catapult us into a state where we experience everything more deeply, more vividly where our relationship to reality is just heightened and comes alive. For my recollection, that was not in anything that Don Juan, I just took that 
concept and applied it to our subject. The way you describe that is like, to me, inside the falling in love experience. Yes. Something opens up so big that you don't know where you are anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's my experience too. And it's something that we have the capacity to experience as human beings. And I think that other beings experience love too. That's what the Sufis say, right? That love is the source of everything in creation. Love is the pulse that beats through everything in creation. And I know I've had that experience where that has become real for me. You know, where I experience what it is to be loved by the divine or to be loved by the universe and what that feels like. You know, that kind of unconditional love and regard from the divine. I think prayer can be a doorway into that state. Of course, we're not like, okay, I'm waiting for this to happen. We're not trying to manipulate and grasp, but it can happen in those moments, in moments of deep prayer, in moments of quiet, of solitude, and all of that. I remember once uh, I was coming back from a band tour and we were in Europe for six weeks and I was so exhausted. I could barely like board the plane. I was just really worn out. We didn't get much sleep on those tours and lots of performing and all of that. And I had an experience similar to what I was describing on the plane. And I was so tired that it seemed like my defenses were just non-existent. I mean, I was on a plane and people were drinking cocktails and watching movies. And it was an ordinary kind of travel situation, but something just opened up. And I think sometimes in moments when we're not looking for something and maybe we're just tired or maybe we're feeling particularly vulnerable or maybe we're in a state of prayer, I think that we can experience that falling back to the core of creation and drinking from the source of love because it's not like we can only get it from another person and through falling in love. That is a way that it happens and it can be extremely potent when it does happen, but it's available everywhere. It's available in the universe. It is flowing and pulsing through the universal field all the time, even with climate change, even with the pandemic and everything else. I was touched to hear about Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar. And as we're talking about betrayal, there's a beautiful story where mm-hmm. Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar's devotee, Devaki Ma, who was to all intents and purposes, completely in the state of love around him. And he would say to her, this beggar will betray you. He referred to himself as a beggar. He'd say, this beggar will betray you. And it became a koan for her in her life. But if you look at the circumstances that arose after his death around her, very difficult circumstances arose. And it would be as if, you know, I always thought he was going to take care of me in this way. And this is how my life would turn out. But rather, she was very 
strongly tested. And to see her speak now and to witness the power of her being now. So even the great ones, <laughs> the great lovers will tell you they will betray you because ultimately you have to step into that or it steps into you. That's such a great story of, of Madhava and Yogi Ram's Rakhmar. Could you just say something about what role faith plays in giving ourselves or opening ourselves to love? Yes. When we give ourselves to love, when I was describing what that is, I talked about being disciples of love, that whatever love brings us, that we follow it wherever it takes us without trying to control the outcome. And that involves a lot of surrender and vulnerability and I think requires faith to be vulnerable and to surrender. I mean, really, a lot of us just want to be in control as much as possible. And if we want to do a deep dive into love, if we want to dive to the bottom of the ocean of love, so to speak, then we have to be able to surrender that control. And I think to just allow love to take us, to have our eyes open, to allow love to take us where it wants to take us without trying to control the outcome involves having faith. I think that a lot of us are out of touch with love. Looking at the world, the context of the world is far from love. Romanticism and sentimentality and cultural ways of being that I think are confused with love. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what is the difference between love and attachment? But then just hearing everyone's comments, we all have a reference point for being bitten by it. And it just kind of takes us over. There's just so much nuance to this. It seems like love is a mystery. You can't make it happen. It just blindsides you. Yes, attachment isn't love, but I don't think we need to isolate love and say it's just this particular state. I think it's the whole experience of what it is and all all the nuances and the subtleties and the darkness in love. I am not talking about anything relating to sentimentality and romanticism at all. And I know that that's what we tend to do. That's how our culture defines love. And so we stay on the surface of it and we get tangled up. Even if we are prone to attachment, I I don't think we can love without attachment. I think there is attachment. It's just part of the fuel. It's part of the process of what we have to work with. But just to know that there is this world, there is the substance that we can experience that can shake us to the core, that can intoxicate us, that can take us apart, that can uplift us, that can shift our assemblage point, just to know that that is available to us. And it's complicated. It is. It's complicated. It's consuming when it's real. And I think that it is important, as as I think you mentioned, 
that we love ourselves, I'm not sure that we can love someone else without loving ourselves. And at the same time, when one is really in love, it seems to me like it's selfless. Yeah. There's movies and movies and stories and stories. And it's so much a part of our living experience, I think, because it's so relevant to our lives. Oh, my gosh. And then there's love and separation. I mean, there's a betrayal in a sense because you lose the lover. And culturally, it's uh, we'll be together forever. But it's not like that. And that kind of takes us deeper when there's separation from the lover. My experience of love is that it's a present phenomenon only. That the present is the domain of love. So unless I'm present, I'm not available to receive love. And the practice of presence is extremely demanding because most of my day, I'm not present. And therefore, I'm not available to love. So one of my experiences is that love is a commitment and a practice to be more present. Otherwise, love doesn't have the possibility of taking root doesn't have the possibility of entering into me. And when it does, my experience is that every self-centered I in me begins to activate, to recoil. So that practice of presence is absolutely essential and it's very demanding. And love can't thrive without my presence. That's, that's about all I want to introduce right now. wonder if you have anything to say about that. Does anybody have anything that they want to respond to with what Red Hawk just said? Does that bring up anything for anyone? Well, it seems like a chicken and egg thing to me in a way, because when love arises, there is presence. That's just the way it is. When I'm present, is there always love? It's a question I'm considering. I mean, real presence. I don't know that there is always love when one is being fully present, but I think love is completely available to us in those moments. Sometimes there are other things that show up when we're being present. But I think maybe that helps make that distinction between attachment, because when we are present, I don't think that that's attachment. I think that that is love. And I think attachment takes us out of the present. I couldn't agree more. Attachment is is a recoil. It is a strategy to avoid relationship. And when I'm present... Presence is love. I think that's true because when that's not the case, what's going on? For me, I'm in my head. I'm thinking about all kinds of things, need systems or my own concerns. And I'm not available to love. I think we're all saying saying the same thing, just in, in different ways. But I think that 
it can't be emphasized enough the importance that without presence, there can be no love. So it was great to have so much participation. And I really want to thank everybody for being here with me and considering the subject. It's really complex, but it's so worthy. It's like Hafiz said, it's something we can talk about every single night, and maybe we should. And so even to just come together for an evening and talk about this, I think is so worthwhile. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to do this talk, something I've been really kind of passionate about lately. And so thank you to everyone. Couldn't you read us a nighttime poem? (laughs) (laughs) Do you all want to hear a poem? by Hafiz. This is called Absolutely Clear. Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft my voice so tender, my need of God absolutely clear. Do you want to hear another one or have you had enough? (laughs) Hafiz, the gift. Our union is like this. You feel cold, so I reach for a blanket to cover our shivering feet. A hunger comes into your body. So I run to my garden and start digging potatoes. You ask for a few words of comfort and guidance. I quickly kneel at your side, offering you this whole book as a gift. You ache with loneliness one night so much you weep. And I say, here's a rope. Tie it around me. Hafiz will be your companion for life. What was that line? Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. And one of the reasons I chose that poem is because, you know, I heard not too long ago that in the UK, There's so much loneliness since the pandemic that it's actually epidemic. And they have designated someone who is a minister of loneliness to deal with all of the loneliness that people are experiencing. And I, you know, I'm a physical therapist and I work with the public. And so many people are saying that they're lonely. And there's always been loneliness, but again, We're living in times where everything is so magnified because of all the isolations and COVID and all of that. I think that there is just a lot of loneliness. And in my experience of loneliness, there's a fine line between loneliness and longing for God. I think that there's like a hair's breadth between them. They're very close. And I think that loneliness really opens something up.